Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Jim, very well. I'm feeling a wide open Thursday. Yeah. A, a recording this. A recording and done Thursday for the Athletic Football Show, but I'm doing very well. Week 18. Still getting used to that. It's always going to be week 17 B in my heart. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, no, happy. This is, we got some good matchups, which is always great. The schedule is always going to have some, but it, sometimes it's just one. But here we got a couple and we got, I, it seems like every playoff scenario, every playoff tiebreaker possible going into this last week. So cannot wait to talk about it. A lot of good stuff on tap. Two really important games where the winner either wins the division like Bill's Dolphins or gets into the playoffs like Texans Colts. That's what we're going to break down today. One more matchup that we're excited about. Then a couple other bigger picture conversations. But I wanted to start. Pro Bowl rosters came out last night. Curious, any egregious snubs that are upsetting to you? Anything that you think is a miscarriage of justice? Okay with what happened? Where do you sit with where the Pro Bowl rosters are? Uh, overall, not bad. I okay. would say All uh, right. overall, not agree. bad. Yes. I, I thought overall it was pretty good. Even the line play was like, okay, I get it. I, I get it. I, I can understand every argument. Like, I can't even, like, okay, I was like, oh, Josh Allen's not one, but it's like, I can't argue him over any of those other guys. Like, yeah, as much as, like, even if this is Mahomes off year, quote unquote, like, this is still a good year. <laughs> I would have been uh, but, fine with Allen making it over Mahomes this year. Uh, but it's just, it's Mahomes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's, I don't think he'll ever not have a spot, but I, I would say for for me just look at the list i I think this is kind of a consensus one i felt like was uh antoine winfield jr not making it yeah and and i think that's the obvious one if i were to do an all pro team i would have him as at least my second team um uh safety uh and so i think he was deserving of a pro bowl name uh pro bowl nod i see buddha baker kind of getting dragged down a little bit i think buddha baker had a very good year for a cardinals defense that didn't have much and nick rawls used him in a lot of fun ways so i i thought i thought the julian love you know, sneaked on in there. And I like Julian Love. So I feel like, I don't know. I don't know why Buda Baker was getting hit. I think uh, Seahawks fans were going like, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, so, I don't really understand uh, that. I don't even understand what the <laughs> what the argument for Julian Love over Antoine Winfield Jr. would look like. So that one either. to me is probably the most a egregious. Nice no offense to Julian Love. You're a good, solid starter, but I don't know. But, yeah, uh, Antoine yeah, Winfield's been really good this year. That to me yeah. is the most obvious one. A lot of people have mentioned Brandon Ayuk's name. Uh, we obviously have talked about Brandon Ayuk a lot. There are a few bigger Brandon Ayuk fans on planet Earth than me. I understand the argument for the four other guys, though. It's not like there's some terrible selection. You can kick Puka Nakua off. He's about to break rookie receiving records. And it's not as if he's solely a product of his circumstances. He's been really good this year. So even as much as I love Ayuk, and I think on a per snap, per route basis, Ayuk has been one of the most devastating receivers in the league this year. But I'm not in a hurry to kick any of those guys off the list. 
Me either. And it's it's that's that's the thing. There's a lot of good players, a lot of good performances this year, uh, performances this year, and I think again, like the fans and everybody else that votes on it that contributes to this did a good job. I would say my one one slight was one first round guard over another first round guard. Uh, but it was one player's – I think Pedigree did a little work this year was Chris Lindstrom. I actually thought he had a very disappointing year for a disappointing Falcons offense, which we'll probably talk about later. And But I would say Tyler Smith should have gotten that nod. Tyler Smith, I, I thought, for at least a good chunk of this year, was dominant. And it's been a breakout player for this Cowboys team. You know, ups and downs with that offensive line. But I thought Tyler Smith deserved a Pro Bowl nod maybe over Lindstrom. And Quincy Williams getting in oh, over yeah. Patrick Queen, I would have been okay with that in the AFC. Quincy Williams had a f- fantastic season. Yes. I understand wanting to celebrate, recognize what that Ravens defense has been. You did mm-hmm. that with Roquan Smith. So Quincy Williams getting <laughs> that spot would have been all right with me, but I'm yeah. mostly okay with what those rosters look like. But I wanted to at least acknowledge the fact that the Pro Bowl voting yes. happened yesterday, and this is an NFL podcast. Before we get into week <laughs> that we remember five minutes before the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's get into the game of the weekend. There is a reason that is on Sunday Night Football. There's a reason that it is going to be the finale of the 2023 regular season. That is the Bills at the Dolphins. Winner of this game wins the AFC East and is the two seed in the AFC. If the Dolphins lose, they fall to the sixth seed in the AFC. So you're giving up a home playoff game there, potentially two home playoff games if you were to win in the wildcard round. If the Bills lose... And okay. both the Steelers and Jaguars win. The Bills are out of the playoffs. If the Steelers lose, the Bills are in regardless of the outcome of Bills Dolphins. The Steelers are playing a crew of backup Ravens this weekend. And the Jags are playing the Titans with the AFC South on the line. So that is not some far off remote possibility for the Bills if they were to lose to the Dolphins. So the huge swings that can come based on the outcome of this game are pretty wild when you consider what it's all coming down to. And I, I, you want to read a little into this, but not way too much, but this is just my outside speculation is the line moved from minus five and a half jacks to minus three and a half jacks over the last couple of hours. I'm just, just throwing it out there. And Trevor Lawrence is battling about seven injuries. So just uh, <laughs> it sounds like he so he practiced in a limited capacity. He practiced, yes, and his fa- apparently he's he threw the ball okay. So we'll see what that ends up looking like. Again, there's a lot on the line for the Jags. So both the Steelers yeah. and the Jags are fighting for their lives. These aren't meaningless games nope. that they're playing in Week 18, and the Dolphins are still a very good team, even with some of the injuries, even with some of the inconsistencies we've seen lately. Speaking of inconsistencies, though. I want to talk about and drill down a little bit on the Bills as we kick off this conversation because we haven't really talked about the Bills much over the last couple weeks. They played a game on a Saturday on Peacock that might not have even happened. Uh, if you, yeah. I, There's no evidence that that game actually took place. Uh, I haven't seen a collapse. So, so <laughs> we haven't talked much about that game. <laughs> then they snuck by the Patriots last weekend, but it was an ugly game for them offensively. Very uneven performance, especially from the passing game. This is a team a month ago that we were talking about as that quote-unquote most dangerous team, the team you didn't yep. want to see in the playoffs. Are we still there with the Bills based on how their offenses looked recently? I'm somewhere in the middle. So like I, we've we joked about before, but I was like, okay, there was – when Joe Brady kind of came on, it was like some of the same and then some nice designs, red zone, third down, everything like that. But they lost the shootout against the Eagles. So I was like, I don't know if this defense can keep up. I feel like the defense has kept up. And now the offense, what I felt like was like a top three-ish unit, even after the offensive coordinator changed, because I thought Brady kind of really did some nice things, is now, eh. 
And some of the unevenness, the Patriots game was more wonky to me rewatching everything because it felt like sloppy. And mm-hmm. to this point, they haven't felt sloppy. I actually felt like the Bills offense has even uh, Dorsey or Brady has had some nice crispness. They do some interesting things formationally. They don't motion a ton, but everyone kind of knows where to go. They do some assignment stuff, but it felt like guys were coming off the ball slow. Two guys were near each other in routes. It felt like, um, you know, Allen was a little behind on a throw. Allen was going into chaos mode, which usually means. We're breaking glass. Okay. Uh, uh, either he has to or the offense has to. They missed a shot play. So I think I'm somewhere in the middle where it's that those performances that we've seen against the Cowboys where their run game looked phenomenal. They don't need Allen all the time. And with a little bit with that wonkiness there, I'm not too worried, but it is notable that I don't feel they're as like, oh, no doubt about it as they were about six weeks ago, four weeks ago, I should say. But I still think this is a very good unit because of what they can do. They're close to hitting some shots. I think, you know, Allen throwing the interception against the Patriots. Patriots were also playing like a full-on Belichick playoff defense in that game. But it's good experience to go against. But they still performed. They still scored some points. They were still able to run the ball. So I'm not too worried, but it is notable. I think that's the my biggest way to kind of go about how I, how I feel about them right Kitchen now. Kitchen sink type game plan from Belichick in that game. Totally. Tons of tons, tons of cover. Zero looks. I mean, you look at the coverage menu, it was all over the place, and you could feel that level of uncertainty that Josh Allen had when he was dropping back in that game. And that's my concern, is that are we in a place where if he's going to face a defense, it's going to throw that type of shit at him in the playoffs, where right. they're going to be these hyper-specific kind of tailored game plans. Does he check back into chaos mode a little bit too quickly? There was a play, I think, the first or second drive against New England, where they had an... Uh, high low over the middle of the field and he had it and he just bails to the left and it's like we everyone calmed down a little bit i will say we talked about how the running game can be a calming factor for them and even though they weren't successful throwing the ball in that game they they only averaged like three and a half yards per carry but that's because they had a lot of short successful runs goal line runs short yardage runs their rushing success rate in that game against new england was still very good so we've had a couple examples over the last month or so where the running game has given them a feeling yes. of consistency when they've needed it. So I tend to think, even with some of that unevenness and some of that inconsistency we've seen over the last month or so, the gear we know they can reach offensively, yep. plus the way the defense is playing right now, they're 10th in weighted DVOA. And some of the injuries that really hampered them earlier in the season have been mitigated. Daquan Jones is back which certainly helps. They have gotten a lot out of Rasul Douglas stepping in there for Trey White, and they they aren't going to replace Matt Milano, but the linebacker play, I think, has been improved as those guys have seen more snaps have been in the lineup more often. So I think their defense is actually closer to the unit we thought they were going to be, and I think the offense is still capable of reaching a certain gear that not every offense is. So even if it's been a little bit underwhelming, over the last couple of weeks, I still think all the ingredients are there for them to be scary if they were to get it. I, I think they, it was a, it was just a classic Belichick thing where they're just like, oh no, the go- seeing ghost thing. I'm not yeah. saying Josh Allen was seeing ghosts, but he was a little bit, and he was spooked. It, he was absolutely he was spooked. spooked. He was, he was, and again, that's why it's nice that he can use his legs, which is one of the most dangerous weapons in the NFL. It's one of, like it's truly his most efficient, most explosive things you can do is Josh Allen run the ball, and we're getting to playoff time where now it's like, yeah, let's go. Let's do that. So you can always do that. Like you're saying, they can run the ball now consistently with their running backs, without Josh Allen, and they can be explosive through the pass game. That is the formula for the playoffs. Create explosives and have a consistent run game. It sounds so basic, but that's what it is. And they could do that. And I'm glad you're just bringing up the defense too, because 
uh, they can. I think Sean McDermott's done a great job of funking up these game plans. So again, I'm I'm optimistic about where this team sits. It's, it'll be interesting with some of the matchups they could potentially have, though. Like what this, how that defense, what defenses are going to try and throw at them. But all these defenses as, that we like, Ravens, Chiefs, Browns, you can run on them a little bit, mm-hmm. and that's so so good to have that the Bills now have that kind of card in their arsenal. This game specifically, we're talking about a Miami defense that's banged up right now. We know about the edge rushers, no Bradley Chubb for the rest of the year, which is such a huge bummer (laughs) to lose him down 30 in week 17. I get it. You want to keep fighting. You want to keep your guys out there, et cetera. It looks a lot worse in hindsight, the fact that he was out there in a blowout, but it still is a huge loss for them in terms of what their defense feels like already having Jalen Phillips out. Xavier Howard likely not going to play in this game. We saw what the Ravens did. (laughs) They were pressing the Eli Apple button throughout that game last week, Uh and I expect the Bills to do more of the same. So even if we've seen a little bit of inconsistency from Buffalo recently, I still think that this Dolphins defense is banged up enough where this could be a game where they get back on track a little bit, where they need to get back on track a little bit for us to even see them in the playoffs. I I completely agree. The Dolphins defensive line, even without Bradley Chubb, is still going to be, you know, tough they're big bruiser guys they can kind of control some gaps so i'm curious what runs they get they get to but last last time they matched up the bills throughout the game also realized that their best answer was whoever Xavier howard wasn't guarding so whoever was on the left side then it was kohu and then now with ramsey because jay ramsey was out yeah yes now with ramsey back in on the left side or was on the left side we'll see if something switched there and now Howard's out on the right side. So I feel like Josh Allen's going to go from targeting Stefan Diggs on the outside to the left to targeting Stefan Diggs to the right. That's something I could see. It's just going to be, if Eli Apple's out there, that's what I would do as well. Uh, but last time, I, I think that formula sticks. Every time we're going to talk about this Dolphins defense, it's what you do against Fangio defenses. Empty. Look for some empty. Look for some Dalton Kincaid over the middle. Um, I think that was their formula last time a little bit, but I really do think this is, uh, we're going to see Diggs kind of get maybe heated up a little bit, uh, especially if they can't get anything going on the run game or if they're just kind of feeling like they need some explosives. And stuff you're trying to borrow from the Ravens game along with attacking that Eli Apple side. Look at how often the Ravens were trying to isolate Duke Riley in coverage against Justice Hill. What have we seen from James Cook this year? You can use him as a vertical receiver in this passing game, and you don't even have to use your imagination. There's stuff that happened last week that is applicable to your personnel and how you want to attack this team. On the other side of the ball, Similar sort of conversation. The Dolphins, I think, have been better than Buffalo over the last couple of weeks on offense. But when we were talking earlier today about how the Dolphins offense feels, you used a term that I thought was really appropriate. It feels like they've lost a little bit of the venom that they've had in other stretches of this year where they have that Cobra-like quality to them where they could just put you down in a single instant. And I think there are a lot of reasons why they've lost that general vibe why do you think this Dolphins defense or this Dolphins offense feels a little bit less dangerous right now uh they're dropping like flies uh that's one thing I think when they lose that ability to tap into the run game if they lose their run game this offense kind of just all falls apart it's just that's what it is no matter how it looks this is a Shanahan offense that is just you got to remember that's the formula it makes it feel like they fell to the back half of last year where yes. they didn't have the answer yes. to tap into that run game over and over and over again, and they were just left without pathways. And if they don't have that, they become closer to the team that we were a little bit worried about in the back half of last season. It, is, it just stinks that some of it's no fault of their own. It's just guys like they can't get back to those true fastballs they had. Like, you know, Having Tyreek Hill is one thing, but a banged up Tyreek Hill is another thing. A banged up Tyreek Hill without Jalen Waddle. 
uh, is another thing. Like, it's just like you're just taking away all these cards that they can get to. I, I think that they will try to find some ways. They're always going to find ways to have Alakin Gold out there, but find a way to use him as a true fullback and true leading the way against what the Bills always want to try and be in light. And they, I think they have to. If this Dolphins team wants to win some games in the playoffs, even if they're losing personnel, they still can have Tyreek Hill catch a bomb at any single time. Mm-hmm. And if the defense can kind of still find their way, like if Xavier Howard comes back, maybe not this week, but, you know, in the playoffs, you know, that that's okay. He's back. All right. Bradley Chubb might not be back, but they can still have answers on defense. So if they can find some of this run game, at least some sustainability, it's going to give them answers not only this game, but the playoffs. So I, I'm just curious what, again, I think Mike McDaniel does a great job of finding something. Last time it was the Matt Milano show, remember? Yeah. Just running every which way. Okay. He's not there now. Are we going to, okay, let's maybe try try that a little bit. Now, right? He's not running back there going from the line of scrimmage all the way back to where the safeties are. So, okay, let's maybe try something that they took away last time and see if we can poke that and attack that and kind of get our group back. I think it's a great point because a, de- a defense that gave them a lot of trouble last week in Baltimore, that's the strength of that Baltimore defense. And if you look right. at structurally what the Ravens were doing to them, they're just packing the paint. I mean, they're playing quarters, and the flat defender who should be near the sideline is inside the numbers on some of these looks because they're just daring them to throw the ball outside. And that's a smart way to approach this Dolphins team. And the Dolphins, because the running game wasn't consistent last week, are going to screens over and over and over again. And if they're doing that, you're dictating to them. They are no longer dictating to you. So I'm wondering, do they feel like they can get back to the running game a little bit, even with Mostert banged up? Do they have those answers? And beyond who the running back is, the offensive line injuries have affected them on the ground. If you look at their numbers, when Connor Williams and Robert Hunt were playing, they were averaging 0.14 EPA per rush. That's crazy. That's like yeah. that's elite quarterback. That's like very yeah. good quarterback play. That's top five quarterback dropbacks. Mm-hmm. They were averaging. They had a forty-seven point seven percent rushing success rate, which was easily the highest rate in the entire NFL. Ridiculous. Without those guys, it's dropped off a little bit. They're still like a top six, seven unit, but that venom word I think is the one I come yeah. back to. They just feel a little bit less scary, a little bit less lethal right. this version of them that's than it. they did earlier in the season. It feels like it's all haymakers right now. Yeah. And they're losing all the other consistent punches. offense, consistent offense. I, I, I know this is why you kind of like to have to reverse engineer it. And I think sometimes too, it comes up in short yardage. Um, I think that's just one thorn in this team's side. And I, I think also it just comes into like once as they get closer, if they don't hit a big play and they have to matriculate down the field, that that field gets tighter and tighter and tighter. The that Dallas game them- is a great example. When they were moving the ball consistently, but they had to keep kicking field goals. And I think that that offense is always going to have – they're always going to find explosive. They're always going to be able to move the ball. But I don't think their red zone struggles are a coincidence. I think it's almost emblematic of who they are offensively. This team is 31st in the NFL in EPA per dropback in the red zone this year. If they haven't been able to grind teams and run the ball down there, they struggle to throw the ball when the field shrinks. And even with the running game involved, they are 18th in red zone touchdown percentage in the second half of the season. So again, just all these little tiny things starting to pile up where they're still a very good offense, but they're not the sort of offense that we were talking about earlier in the year. It's nicknamed to very good. Yes. That's that's, that's where they went. And that fall off is enough. That fall off is enough when you're dealing with elite teams that you're going to have to see in the playoffs. You're going to see a Baltimore. You're going to see a San Francisco. So it goes from maybe we win the AFC East and give somebody a good run in the wild card or divisional round 
to could we win the Super Bowl? And I think that there right. were both of those versions of the Dolphins at some point this year. It was just, oh my God, even a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was kind of merging. I was like, ooh, if they can get healthy and they can get enough of their line back. But, and that's the thing, they're built on speed. And when that speed's mitigated and uh, it, kind of the warts of it, I should say the warts, but just the things that they try to hide um, of their of their offense. They're trying to like, okay, we're not trying to drop back. We're not trying to punch you all the way in the mouth. We have to use some smoke and mirrors, but that's what we want to do. But all of a sudden it's like, hey, if we have to be basic and we have to like go to these other answers, that's where it's like, okay, what do we got? And that's when the personnel kind of comes to be more important and not what McDaniel can scheme up, which is just like, he can scheme up a lot. That's uh, players going to win out in the end. Cannot wait to watch it. The fact that this is Sunday oh, night, we'll obviously be talking about it on our recap show. So please be on the lookout for that. Another game we'll absolutely be digging into Texans at Colts. Texans are minus one. Doesn't get much better than this. Like a very even matchup with everything on the line for these teams. So the winner is in. That's it. The loser is out. This is a playoff game. The winner will win the AFC South if the Jags lose to the Titans. But no matter what happens with Jacksonville, the winner of this game is in. So before we get into some of the nitty gritty here, I was was thinking about this this morning, this matchup specifically in these two teams. No matter who wins or loses this game, these are incredibly successful seasons for both of these franchises. Mm-hmm. I think that they were both probably picked to be bottom five teams in the league, top five potential picks. Remember earlier in the year when people were talking about the Texans trading away their first round pick and the fact that Arizona yeah. had the best odds now to get the first two picks in the draft. Mm-hmm. Now the Texans are playing to be in the playoffs. The Colts were another team that would was projected to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Their starting quarterback gets hurt a month into the season, and now they're playing to be in the playoffs. New regimes, new head coaches, so much justifiable excitement for both of these franchises and where they are. So while I was thinking about all that this morning, I wanted to ask you this. Next five years, okay, five years, which of the essentially the length of the rookie quarterback contracts for these two guys, which of these franchises would you rather be? It's this is impossible, but it's I love Stroud so much, and I love what Bobby Slug's doing, but I also love what Shane Steichen's doing with the Colts. And I remember what it looked like with Anthony Richardson at the beginning of the year, even what it looks like with Gardner Minshew. This is why I like I wanted to pose this to you because I think a lot yeah. of people would just default to the Texans because of Stroud, but I know that you're the right mark here to potentially get us into a good conversation. <laughs> a lot of one A, one B here. Ah, yeah. uh, this is this is truly picking between my children. This is no, no, Jack's not involved. Uh, but I would say I I, I I'm gonna go with the Colts. Wow. I'm go with okay. The Colts. All right. Explain why. Steichen. That's it. Steichen and, and Richardson is enough for you. That's enough. And I also just the makeup of this team Rewatching them, I'm glad. I've checked in them probably about three times this year. And now, like, rewatching them again at the end of the year. It's like they have more talent than I remember. The players are playing well. Players that I kind of like, okay, this guy's going to be okay, are playing the best ball of their career. I would just say the Colts offensive line is enough. Yeah. The improvement that we've seen from this team just from the offensive line is like enough to know, like, hey, coaching's happening on this team. It's such Even- a great example because it went from a negative <laughs> last year, a defined negative, to a defined positive. Every single one of those guys is playing good ball. You have Bernard Raymond, who had a disastrous first half of last season as a third-round pick, coming in and is a plus starter at left tackle for you now. Yes. Will Fries, Will Fries is somebody that I – no player in the NFL did I take a bigger L on this year than Will Fries. I'm in Indianapolis <laughs> during training camp, and I'm talking to people in the building, and I'm like, yeah. you guys aren't going to do anything along the offensive line. You're not going to add a single piece. 
And they're sitting there and to my face, we feel good. I, I think that you are going to be surprised by how well they play. And guess what? I was wow. dead ass wrong. Dead ass wrong. And I think that unit specifically is a very good entry point into why this group feels so different. And one of the other things I think is so cool about how quickly things have changed in Indianapolis. Last year, think about some of the guys on that roster. Matt Ryan, Stephon Gilmore. They're really trying to squeeze the most they can out of that version of the roster. I'm pretty sure they had like the 12th oldest team in the league last season. This year, when Barnwell tweeted out the snap-adjusted age stuff earlier in mm-hmm. November, they had the fourth youngest team in the of the year. So that's how quickly it's changed. They've gone from this team that felt old, decrepit, slow, to a team that feels young. They bet on athletes, and you have yes. the quarterback potentially stepping back into this. So I understand the argument. That being said, it's hard for me to pick against C.J. Stroud in this conversation. It's it's some it's some prospect in here. It, that's what I'm doing because Stroud's amazing, and Stroud's going to be no matter what a top eight quarterback. It looks like uh, at the very very least, if not more. Um, but the those he might leave, which is everybody's always you know. This well, is the, the, the very card. interesting bet because <laughs> yeah. with Steichen, he's going to be there. The offensive yes. infrastructure, the offensive ecosystem, who you are on that side of the ball isn't going to go anywhere. It's not traveling. If Slowick leaves, the Texans are facing that problem of how do we continue this sort of offensive success if we take the play caller out of the equation? And I think that Stroud, Tunsil, the pass catchers, there's enough there to be very yes. excited about, plus what D'Amico Ryans has done. But I get making the bet on the coach and the quarterback that you know are going to be there and be able to build on what they're already doing. Yeah, and this is more just an exercise here because I would pick both of these teams. I think they're both set up for great success in yeah. the in the near future and mid-future. But I also, I just think the Texas defense does have more pieces or more holes to fill. Um, you know, like they they have more th- questions to fill. I, I think the Colts defense is there too. Interesting. But it's just like, I don't know, the pass to get there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, the I, pass think I agree with that, but I also think that the – Texans have more high-end talent on the defense already than the Colts do. Y- especially young. But yes. it's also, you know, uh, isn't Grenard a, a, Grenard a, Grenard's a free, a free agent. agent? So there are pieces yes. on the Texans defense that could be moving up. It's, yes. And uh, several, I, I still think Texans, or Texans need several linebackers. Uh, and so, you know, they just have more holes than I thought. I thought maybe every time I watch them, I'm always like, oh, they're, I mean, we're going to talk about it in a second, but I'm like, oh, they're going to be able to do this. And I watch them like, Oh, they still need some horses on that yeah. end, but they can rush the passer, and that's what you want. So that that was just another consideration of this. But I also just want to say, like right now, again, like just, just Anthony Richardson, guys, is like he as Stroud's amazing. I think we're forgetting. Uh, yeah, we're forgetting is these. I think both of them have like let's just say Pro Bowl <laughs> potential. I don't want to get too outlandish here, but it's like no, these guys are dudes. Like these guys can be like legit elite talents, and so I just want to remember like. It's going to be a fun battle in the AFC South between these two and Trevor. Before we dig into the actual matchup, the last thing I wanted to mention, things change year to year in the NFL very quickly. Things very quickly change. You had a Colts team that bottomed out. (laughs) Yeah, week to week. But there are conversations that you you have a year ago and then you look back on them and you can either think, man, that was insane that I would have said that shit. Or you think back in like two years ago and you think about the vacillations between that, that moment and this one. I think oh, yeah. back to the GM ranking show that we did in 2022. And last one. That's the last <laughs> one we did. And I, both of us had Ballard in the top five. And you watch what happened to them last year. And it looked like some of the dumbest things we could have said. And there, I was talking to someone in the league last year. And we were having this discussion. And he asked me, he said, who do you think is the best GM in the NFL? 
And I probably said Howie or, or somebody else that was having success in the moment. And he said, I still think it's Ballard. And I was like, really? And so this is, I, I appreciated the perspective because it's outside of our little football internet bubble, which I always, I want that. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I just think the process is there. I think he's really good at dealing with people. I think that he, and he embodies the job in a way that I think makes him very effective at it. And somebody I would want running my he franchise. Generally manages. <laughs> yeah. He generally manages. <laughs> and so now, and they listen, they haven't accomplished anything. They may not win the division, whatever, but. How quickly the vibes have changed and the outlook has changed from where this team was in week 18 last year where they couldn't function offensively to nothing but good feelings about Uh, process, roster construction, talent, all of those things. It it happens and changes so fast. It's crazy. And just even this season, because even midseason, I'm like, oh, they're fine. They're ahead of schedule. That's interesting. Okay, cool. I didn't think they're making playoffs. I would be honest with you, Colts fans, once Minshew was starting. and But that's what speaks to what they have there. And they have more talent than I think I even gave credit for. A lot of guys I liked, but kind of maybe it was just going like, okay, they're that. But it just shows you what good freaking coaching does when guys are used well. And I know Gus Bradley is the same defensive coordinator, but these guys are playing inspired. Yeah. Like it just, it, it, that he's starts always, at the top. He's done a solid job since he got oh, there. They have yes, been solid yes, on has. defense last year they since were good. he got there. They're, they're pretty good last year. I don't think they ranked really high, but they, I think in the tail end, they're playing well. They have been solid there, on defense every single year. And they've gotten a lot more out of that defensive line than they had yes. in years past. Quiddy Pay putting Absolutely. it together. Ebucam yes. has been really good Ebucam for them. Ebucam has been great this year. So yeah. I think that there are a lot of things contributing to that. I, I want to start as we talk about this game specifically about the Colts' offense against the Texans' defense. Because you talking about Steichen in this way and how good of a job he's done this year, if you look at metrics, they're fine. They're like 25th in offensive (laughs) success rate. They're like 14th in offensive DVOA. I swear they got to be higher. I look at it every time. I'm like, really? So I'm curious about this. What (laughs) do you think is potentially the disconnect between the process that they have on offense right now and what you like about it and some of the results if you look at some of the advanced numbers? Uh, Gardner Minshew starting at quarterback. <laughs> that's that's uh, at this point in time. That's kind of where I'm man, at. No, Minshew but, takes more of a beating on this show he, than I think anywhere man. else in football media. I, I just know what he is, and that, I just that's, see that's exactly it, what I was going to say. We uh, know what he is, and he does he does what his role is. Like he does it perfect. That's exactly what you want. He he holds the fort down. But there's times I'm watching these plays, and I again, this is the the genius of Steichen does is just that they'll repeat plays. They run. Simple concepts. I shouldn't say simple. All answer concepts, but that makes Classic. it so when the, classics and when they it's North Turner stuff. That's why I'm like, yeah, and that's where uh, he and that's where he comes from. Yes. And that that's and the funniest see, part about his background is that all, Shane is a North Turner guy. Even though with all, all these RPOs stuff. and all this quarterback run stuff, he is a Norv Turner guy. It is five and seven step drop back stuff with a little bit more little gimmicky on some stuff, but it's just like that's what it is. And so I, I watch those plays and usually there's an alert on it, you know, five and seven steps. A lot of alerts are getting turned down and it's where alerts you're talking how, about are deep shots. Oh, sorry, and if sorry, it's there, yes, you I take it. Yes. Alert is a way for a coach to talk out of both sides of their mouth where they just go, Hey, the, the bomb was open. The play that should be the shot play that you take in the advantageous situations or advantageous matchups and aggressive quarterbacks. The ones that usually are praised, I'm always going, cause I would never think that way when I play quarterback. I was a singles hitter. I, I will admit it. I got on base. A lot of checkdowns, a lot of the, the number one read. I'm taking it. 
These and guys. We had our get throwing shoot. competition in the Super Bowl two years ago. You couldn't hit the deep one. It's, I understand. It's not a big deal. Not I, everyone oh has my arm. I tried to put touch on it, and I was like, "What am I doing? Just line it in there." Uh, but so they. So I watch these guys, and why I praise kind of these quarterbacks. Like when I watch Richardson in this offense, he's pushing the ball. He's taking the alert. He's taking the. When I always say high low, they take the high as opposed to the low. I feel like that should be obvious, <laughs> even without knowing football, that which one you are taking, why that is more aggressive and better. Um, and that's why I watch Minshew. He will take the safe answer. He goes to the right answer, but he takes the safe answer. He's a singles and doubles hitter. And so I think there's opportunities in this offense to just explode. But I think it's well run. I've seen – this was just in one game I watched. This is the Raiders. They're out the same formation, two by two, which is just a, a tight end, a receiver, and two receivers on the other side. Tight end off, receiver in a close split. If you watch the Eagles, they've run it the last two years, three years. They ran six run plays from the exact same formation. Yeah. And that's it sounds again like where you talk about oh that's good offense. We talk about a lot of good offenses right now. All this window dressing to get to different formations to get to the same place. They use the same formation to get a whole, to a whole bunch of different plays. It's just that which is the actually old school classic line of thinking. We run two by two, we run three by one, but we run seven, nine, eleven, thirteen plays off of them. And it's just like maybe one little tweak on that guy's a little close split or something like that. And that's why it's such a almost refreshing kind of feeling just to kind of like a watch a classic offense and see it kind of work with out Eagles personnel and to see it, not all this motion and all this window dressing and that being only the only way to, you know, skin a cat in today's modern game. So I think that's why I really like it. And I think that's why sometimes the, there's a numbers disconnect is Jonathan Taylor's missed time and Gardner Minshew starting instead of Anthony Richardson to kind of put it over the top. So talking about this matchup against the Texans specifically, you mentioned that run game. That is what the Colts do best. They're, run, yes. they're a top 10 running team by DVOA. If you look at some of the other numbers and their offensive line, plus Jonathan Taylor back, that is where they are best. And I think that matchup against what has been an elite Texans run defense, like truly elite this year yeah. after being one of the worst in the NFL for the past several seasons, that matchup and in when they drop back as well, that front if Will Anderson plays, that's huge for the Texans against this Colts offensive line. Those are the two aspects of this matchup that I think are the most interesting on that side of the ball. It is. It, it, yeah. Second best defense on early downs against running back runs in terms of success rate. And yeah, uh, the Colts are willing to run it, but they're kind of like mid, mid road, maybe well above average. But uh, Texans struggle defending RPOs. Mm-hmm. Colts love their RPOs. So it's, that's what it is. It's North Turner with RPOs. That's and when you talk about is. linebacker play and that being a weakness in the passing that's, game for the Texans, that's an area where it really shows up. Yes. They're, uh, the Texans are 27th success rate defending RPO passes. And the Colts have the second most RPO passes in the NFL this year, only behind the Eagles. Weird. And they've generated the most EPA off of RPO passes. So – You'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of Gardner Minshew, just a little flash fakes. You'll see different runs with them. And that's why I think it's cool. They, that's what's, again, I, sorry, I just, it's, I did, this turned into more of a Colts just gush fest than I meant to, but it, it, it's cool because they'll run the same run play, but then they'll do three or four different packages with the receivers. So different RPO packages, but then they'll just go, Hey, you guys are blocking on this one. So for a defense, again, it's not – for the offense, this isn't much addition, like mentally. Yeah. Like this isn't – okay, it's just a different tag. But for a defense, it's like, oh, shoot, it's a bubble. Oh, shoot, it's a flat. Oh, shoot. Oh, they're downfield now. Oh, they're blocking me now? Oh, God. And, but it's the same run. So that's what I just like about it. It's just classics just packaged together. Nice. You've, ta- you've said it. He's the Occam's Razor play caller where it's just Occam's the simplest Razor. answer over and over and over again. And I mentioned last thing about just the guys in this game on that side yeah. of the ball. Jonathan Greenard out and yeah. Will Anderson banged up. 
So if they can't affect the quarterback and they can't win the line of scrimmage on that side of the ball, I think that they're going to struggle to slow this Colts team down. Luckily, when the Texans have the ball, I think the Colts are going to struggle slowing (laughs) them down. There's a reason that this is the first game we really saw C.J. Stroud throw it around the yard. This Texans offense is built from the ground up to take advantage of the style of defense that the Colts want to play. It is not an accident that we saw that, and we've seen some of the success that C.J. Stroud in this passing game have had against cover three and cover three heavy teams this year. Among full-time starters this season, C.J. Stroud ranks fourth in EPA per drop back against cover three. All the guys in the Shanahan McVay tree. So here are the guys in this conversation. Stafford is first. Jared Goff is second. Baker Mayfield is third, which is interesting. C.J. Stroud fourth, Brock Purdy fifth to a sixth. So all the guys that we think would be grouped together are up there because listen, what what, what did the the contours it. of the league for the last ten years were that was this tree taking advantage of cover three? It's like and it's just the, the Gus Bradley kind of just the old. He's the old guard. He's like the the new old guard, I guess. He's like, nope, still running it. You still got to stop it. You still got to run it. It's like when I watched them against the Falcons a few weeks ago, I was like, of course, Arthur Smith even had answers for this one. Because it's like, this is the stuff that they just, he ran down their throats when he was with the Titans. This this covers three stuff or single high base stuff in this kind of system was the meta in the 2010s. This was the Legion of Boom stuff. And this is why the Shannon offenses came to prominence because they had all the beaters for this. This is why outside zone worked. So yeah, I, there, Stroud is, CJ Stroud is already up there with how he processes, how he finds secondary answers, auxiliary answers, tertiary answers to territory, tertiary, tertiary, uh, yeah. tertiary. Yes. And like, oh man, oh, sorry. This last game he had one, it was two man. He can two man. You usually go one. You have one answer on two man. He found a secondary out answer. And I was like, what? how? Like the spa- his spatial awareness is ridiculous. And yeah, screw that too, man. Like, that, like just like the spatial awareness of this guy is unbelievable. He's unbelievably accurate. But why I was saying all this, sorry, I, again, getting ahead of myself, is he doesn't have issues if you're varying up coverages already as a rookie or mm-hmm. playing less than a dozen games or a dozen games. Now he knows you only run a couple things. Yeah, I think he's going to feel okay about this game plan. So I, I, I think that, you know, the run game, the Texans run game is okay. That They'll commit to it, though. Again, this is a Shanahan-based offense, but I really think there's going to be some fireworks uh, happening through the air. I think it's going to be a fun battle between the young corners. I always bring up with the Colts, Juju Brents, um, with like Nico Collins. Nico Collins is playing, correct? Yes. He is, yeah. Um, yes. So that's a fun matchup as well. So there's some interesting things there, but, it, you know, it could be some fireworks. I was watching a Hot Tub Time Machine the other day. <laughs> Love and it. it. It's this How's this it game. It, it, it holds up okay. I, it's it's okay. a lot of things that I love. Uh, I yeah. love I love John Cusack. I love Lizzie okay. Kaplan. I love time travel movies, and I love I, I love movies travel. set in a different era when it's a, the time travel movie. So the fact that it's very rooted in the eighties. Oh, and yeah. I was the reason I'm I have all these on top of mind is I was explaining all the elements of the movie to my wife that I love. I yeah. love movies that are set in ski towns. But there's just something okay. about that vibe of like the skiing vibe that okay, I so enjoy. Like Dumb and Dumber. Yes. What else you got? So there's just I, whatever it is. I just want to be in a world where everyone is wearing like ski hats and ski jackets and just. Are you a big fan of misery? <laughs> the Shining. Are you? <laughs> I think it has to be a lighthearted <laughs> approach to this. The reason I, I bring this up is that it really did feel like when you watch that movie, it's just from a different time. 
this game and all of these overs against cover three and all these big play action shots from the Shanahan offense, it brings us back to that time. It does. That's this is it. And they're gonna and they get to run the classics. That's what's great too. It's like the ones that this is their version, the the Shanahan ones. They they don't have to do all the window dressing that the 49ers and the Rams, all the stuff that they have to do, Dolphins, just to get to the plays they want. They can just line up and get to it. It's it's yeah, we're not gonna I mean, even on the other side, I mean the Colts offense doesn't motion either. So we're just gonna see some guys launching it, just line up and rip it. Gardner versus Stroud. Let's go. Awesome. Um, awesome game. Awesome glad, game. glad it it's has that, that national national platform on Saturday. We can all take it in. So that's going to be awesome. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's, let's stick in the AFC South here a little bit. And this Jags team needs to beat the Titans to win the AFC South and a division that everyone picked them to win, a division that people thought they would win by multiple games, all of that. If they don't, we're talking about just a bottom-of-the-barrel disappointing season for the Jacks. And that is a vast departure from where they were at this time last year, when it seemed like the arrow was pointed straight up. The offense is a top-10 offense. Lawrence looks great. All these island of misfit toys, pass catchers that they put together were actually working The Doug Peterson experience and how different it felt to Urban Meyer. It's like, man, the Jags were an absolute dumpster fire two years ago, and they have figured it out. Look at that. They are big boys now. Things have changed when you're thinking about and talking about the Jags. Again, things change quickly. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you, as you think about this Jaguars-Titans game, Uh... which team in your mind has wasted its 2022 good vibes the most this year? Do we have a short list or I just gave it, give you the one because I might not be getting creative on this. We got, so I think some, some contenders, Jags, contenders, here we go. Yes. Jags are in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. The giants 
I yes. think are in that conversation. Yes. They've done a Victims better of job. Their own success. Yes. And then they they've done a good job of rebounding a little bit. I think it's oh, le- yeah. it's it's DeVito. less sky is falling there. The DeVito yeah. experience. Defense but I, has been playing fine. I still don't yeah, think Giants fans so. are feeling great about where they are oh, no. after last Especially year. Especially if they're watching these uh quarterback highlights coming out for the draft prospects. They're they're definitely not. Yeah. Eagles. The Eagles are flailing right now. Oh, we got you think? Uh, we got defensive daily, coordinator shifts. We got daily rumors coming out, like from daily the locker rumors. Room. Oh, yeah. We got updates about how AJ Brown is feeling. It yes. seems like every single Nick Sirianni press conference, there's something coming out of there that feels notable. And again, yep. think about where this team was at the end of last season and how good everything felt and how much they were rolling. Yep. Seahawks, yes, again. So much better than everyone could have anticipated. It's almost yep. just an elevated version of the Giants experience. And then this season, the Seahawks are the same. No improvement where on where they it's were last year. And I think that's a little bit disappointed. And I think the last one here, maybe just in our own minds, would probably be the Falcons. That's so in your mind, which one has wasted their 2022 vibes the most? I'm the opposite on that one with the Falcons. It's like, I'm not disappointed. I'm mad that that's how they are. And yeah, God, run game is just so mad at them. No, it's the Jags. I, it's you think it's the Jags. the Jags. You think it is the Jags. I do. Okay. I do. Right. And also because they baited me back in. And it was, I, I watched that end of the last year and I thought, you know, Trevor had a great performance against the Chargers. I thought they actually played pretty well against the Chiefs, all things considered. You know, it's a flawed they did. roster and they, and they were toe to toe for them. They with absolutely them. Oh, wow. did. I was like, okay, they got some good things going. I thought, I was like, I, I thought, and then how this offseason went, they had a full uh, full draft. They had Calvin Ridley reinforcements coming in. I'm like, okay, we talked. I I, I really thought Calvin would hit the, hit the ground running. And he's had some good moments, but also had some very inconsistent moments. And But I just watched all that, and I'm like, I looked at the roster. We did our preview show, and I was like, it was nine and a half wins. And I was like, I think they're going to end up about nine wins. And I hated myself for saying that because I was trying to be realistic. That first month, first six weeks of the season, I was like, I was so willing to eat crow. How that defense played, how all these guys were emerging, how they were getting after the quarterback. After a little that bit, London kinda. trip, when they when they got yes. back from that London trip, it's like, oh man, Those is this team can they compete in the AFC? Yep. That's how it felt midway through this and season. It, I was Mike Caldwell. I still think has done a good job, but I was like, man, you know, Devin Lloyd's taking a big step. Like, okay, maybe this configuration of this roster is gonna work. Like, this is all gonna work. I thought Andre Cisco was playing really well. Um, it's all this stuff. And then the bottom fell out. That Bengals game, it just is like, I think there was some, some stuff before that, maybe some of the defensive stuff that was happening, especially to their linebackers. But I, you know, Trevor Lawrence getting hurt. It felt they just all of a sudden, all these warts just got a huge light shined on them. And it kind of almost made me angry going again, like, are we really relying on Zay Jones to be the key cog of our offensive yeah. ecosystem? That's where we're at. This is the old line plan. This is the run game. You have no plan for short yardage. You drafted a guy named Tank Bigsby in the third round, and just because his name is Tank and he's not even a short yardage back, like yeah, like what, where's what's happening with Trevon Walker? With Trayvon Walker? What like we knew Josh Allen was the only pass rusher. Why didn't you add to that? And I think that's why it ended up this bad vibes feeling is because they, I think for a while it was like, Oh, they glossed this over. This is actually going to work. And I think just then the reality set in just so harshly. And I just showed how fragile this roster was. And I think just the vibes is just like, Oh, now what? Now what I think is the correct answer. And yeah. everything that could have gone wrong on offense essentially did go wrong. Yes. The offensive line was the biggest point, point of concern that you had coming into the season. The best case scenario on the offensive line is Cam Robinson gets back from suspension. Walker Little moves inside. You get solid play from Anton Harrison as a rookie. Which Brandon he did. Scherf 
is going to be a good player and that you yep. pay to be a very good player. Yep. And then center remains kind of your biggest question mark. Well, that all went awry. Cam Robinson comes back, starts a left tackle, gets hurt almost immediately. So now you're bumping your third tackle out to left tackle. You're getting worse at left guard as a result. They have to trade for Ezra Cleveland at the de- trade deadline because of how much of an issue the interior of their offensive line is. Scherf is on the decline. Pretty definitively. I would be surprised if he were on the roster next year at his price point. The interior of the offensive line continues to be a huge problem. And while Harrison has been solid, he has had rookie growing pains. So every single part of the offensive line has been a concern. Every single guy among those five. That and a lack of a plan has left them with one of the worst running games in the NFL. They they Mm -hmm. cannot run the ball consistently. And so you cannot run the ball consistently. Your offensive line is a problem. When you try to drop back, you have no faith in your ability to protect, so everything feels condensed. Everything feels yeah. way, quick, 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 quick. way, way, way quicker than Urgent. it should be. Yeah. Panicked. And Panicked is how it feels. as you figure out your pass-catching options, the roles that they specifically play have forced you to put guys in the wrong position. Because when Say Jones was out, you thought, well, Calvin has to be an outside receiver winning outside the numbers because we have to have Christian Kirk in the slot. And then they figured that out a little bit, and then Christian Kirk gets hurt. And so just every single step of the way, there it's been that whack-a-mole problem where they've tr- – yep. maybe we figured something out and then somebody else gets hurt or something else goes wrong. And I expected this to be a year where they built on the success and yes. the progress they made on offense last year. Instead, they've taken a step backwards. So now instead of, okay, in year three, we're going to continue to build on what we were in year one or year two, I think that they actually have to step back – and instead of building, yes. rebuild. Figure out, okay, who do we want to be? Identity, personnel, all of these different things. And I just did not expect that to no. be where we landed with this team, even if you had concerns about the offensive line personnel and what they could be on the ground. Right. If you after you know, after season or even before the season said, Hey, the Jaguars went ten and seven or nine and eight, I'd be like, Yeah, okay, that feels about right. But it'd be a, a good like it was yeah. like, hey, they played first place schedule. Okay, you know, okay, they had to play some real teams, and that's what happens. They, okay, they're but they they got so much more now, and everything's working. So it's exactly what you're saying. And now it's like they have so many holes, and it's it, it's they went a year or two ago with oogles of gap cap space, plenty of draft capital, plenty of stuff to do things. And this is like this is what we have, and this is should be more like we're ascending right now. Maybe some blemishes with a younger roster, and it's just like you're not getting play out of the guys where you should be getting play, I mean, you know, positive play, I should say. Um, it, it just even just it's just every time there was a question mark, I'm like, oh yeah, that that's why I had a question mark on it. You know, Brent Strange being their second round pick at tight end when it's like even in the moment, me and Dane, who are pretty positive on draft shows, were like, huh. Okay, all right. There's about five other tight ends we would take before him, but I guess you know he's a good athlete. But why would you take him if you have Evan Ingram, who's another good athlete that can't block? It's like, uh, what, what are you doing? It's, so it's just all these question marks again. That's why it feels incomplete because then all these guys are in specific things. They're one. They're one-off roles as opposed to this is why I always talk about scheme-proof players. Yeah, they're, they're not actual guys that can just do multiple things. But yeah, sorry. It's just it, it's as I talk more and more about it, I just kind of get annoyed by it. It is it is like, very it is very frustrating. It's annoying. I, it's I, annoying. I, Trevor Lawrence is not <laughs> is not blameless here. 
The turnovers no, are, are absolutely part of this. It's a real and thing. I think that is the one area of his game where I think that you can justifiably really criticize him. I think down to down, he has still been a very good quarterback. I think he's still been a top 10-ish quarterback. And for a guy in year two of this offense, year three overall, I think he's given you more than enough to win. Yes. The turnovers being the biggest issue. But these are the numbers I talked about about three weeks ago that I think are worth bringing up. The Jaguars offense this season, as of December 19th, so that these numbers are not updated, but they don't really need to be. 31st in the NFL in EPA lost on drops. 30th in the NFL in EPA lost on fumbles. 31st in the NFL in EPA lost on wide receiver and tight end screens, of which they run a lot. 30th in EPA gained on run plays. You can't live that way. No. You, no. you just you just can't live that way. And that's what I mean no. where they just need to go back to the drawing board. It's like we just need to figure out who we want to be, why we want to be that, and what sort of players are going to fuel that vision. And it's just not a place I expected to be with this team. Going no. back to square one, but it almost feels like that's what needs to happen. Unreal. A year three year three part one. <laughs> so, year yeah, one part I, I, two. I think that they are a pretty good answer for the team that has wasted their good vibes the most. Oh, I feel like we both had we had notes prepped. I was like, I think we both were ready up for that one. <laughs> uh, you can make a really solid argument for a lot of others. The Seahawks were supposed oh, yeah. to be a definitive playoff team. They were supposed to be a potential contender in a watered down NFC. Yes. Now people are calling for Pete Carroll's job. The Falcons, again, that's more of our own construction. But the still, Giants, for me, the, Giants, hey, the Falcons was supposed game to should have been a top five, top five freaking unit, and they're bottom. It's like, yeah, that's that's definitely one. Eagle, Eagles for me is more like, hey, everyone expected to discuss two to go. Yeah, and it was just like, hey, no, this is what happens. Like, it's it's hard to keep the house up like that. The Eagles, I felt like this was always possible. I didn't think yeah. the defense would bottom out the way that it had. I thought it would take a significant step back. When we talked about our top ten defenses show, I didn't even consider thought, putting them on there. I thought more. Yeah, I thought it was more like okay, they might be like fourteenth. Yeah, you I know, thought like, they. Okay, I, could, I thought they could be a below average defense this year. I thought they could be okay. the eighteenth best defense in the league with a top five offense. They win yeah. eleven, twelve games, maybe win the NFC East but they do not belong among the elite teams in the league. That's kind of where we've arrived, except it's more worrisome (laughs) with the inner building feeling and just the way that the outward projection is from everyone in charge there, I guess is what I would say. It was not quiet. Yeah. It was not a, it was not a quiet failure. Yes. It was not, it was kicking and screaming. And I think that's why it just feels worse as opposed to just like, ah, all right, we didn't get there this year. Oh, okay. Some things, some things didn't go our way. Last game we want to talk about for this week. We're going to do this as the matchup of the week, a game that if you had told me this was going to be the matchup of the week in September, I would be very surprised. (laughs) The Bears defense against the Packers offense. These two teams played in week one. Feels like it happened 20 years ago in terms of oh. what these teams feel like. Obviously, you know, the when Packers David Bakhtiar offense, was sliding into the end zone. Yeah, that feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> so you have this Packers offense that played very well that day, but has certainly had ups and downs along the way this year and has now fully arrived as a good unit. We'll talk about yep. that. I mean, just no caveats necessary. This is a very good offense that is poised to be in the playoffs if they win this game. The Bears defense went from being a group that I thought could have been the worst defense in football after week one, after the first couple weeks of the year. Over the second half of the season, the Bears are first in EPA per dropback, and they are one of the best run defenses in the league. Mm-hmm. They're fifth in weighted defensive DVOA. Fifth. 
I just never thought, even in the rosiest version of the outcomes, that this is what the Bears defense would feel like by the end of this season. And that's why it has made for one of the really the best matchups and maybe the best matchup of the entire week. Yeah, and both teams want it. That's what's awesome. Uh, it's this is strength on strength. The pack. <laughs> repeat is that. Wild. The Packers offense versus the Bears defense is a legit like juggernaut matchup in Week 18. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, it's good players playing well, coached up well. It's what you expect. It, it, this Bears defense though is it, it's good players. They all three levels. It's every position. Defensive tackle. Like, uh, Dexter is a hit. Like he, he's, they nailed that. He, he's good. He's good. They brought him uh, along Monta- at the right pace too. I love how they yes. folded him in, him and know, Pickens. They, it just, yeah, the plan the, the has vets. made sense because they have, they, they have Justin Jones. They have yep. Andrew Billings who has played well enough to get a contract really extension. Well. So yes. I just think that there are so many decent players they have in that area that they've been able to not force those guys into bad spots. And the development plan I think has been very solid for them. For everybody. Yeah. And then the, on the back end, once Kyler Gordon came back, it was like, oh shoot, he's one of the most improved yeah. players in the league. He, he was bad last year. I was I was real willing to take an L again. Let these guys develop. Nate Tice, let these guys develop. Uh, but watching you know watching Gordon this year, he's good. He's a good player. And th- now him, Jalen Johnson, and Tyreek Stevenson, they have an amazing cornerback trio. Not a lot of teams have that. And I think they stumbled into the current meta. Load up on linebackers because <laughs> yeah. no one else has them. And we have three off ball linebackers that can defend the run and pass. Most teams barely have one. Barely, they have three. And I, I think they, they play smart. They play sound. They don't blitz much. But then you see the Phil Snow influence on third and fourth down or his influence is in there. It's, yeah, very, very good unit. Very fun to watch and really good players. I mean, it's 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 cool. The best thing they do right now is when they play cover two, it's beautiful. And they play cover two more than any other defense in the league except for the Vikings. I think they played on like 20% of their total dropbacks. And when you watch them play that coverage specifically, the corners are very physical. And yeah. so what they do to both receivers at the line of scrimmage, but also in the run game, and that extends to Terrell Smith, who is a fifth round corner who has played well in spot duty. So their corners are physical. They do a very good job when asked to play that role. And there was a play against the Falcons where they're in like a Tampa type cover two, and they're asking Tremaine Edmonds to run down the pike with, I think it was maybe Pitts. It doesn't really matter, yeah. but he's running step for step with that guy running vertical and then he falls off of it as it gets to eddie jackson and then comes down on like a deep curl and just watching how that defense lives in that coverage specifically i did not expect to feel this way while yeah. watching the chicago bears it's your childhood. this year it's so it's your childhood weird. yes it's childhood yes. it's your childhood 20 years later they're it's running cover two more than anybody and brian urlacher yeah it's so physical weird. corners running cover two oh a my great god it's so true player, it's great so defensive true defensive tackles it's like oh my god it's i know uh watching edmonds uh, okay uh, holy shit i get it watching him go from the line of scrimmage against the falcons and run to a deep dig this, this is why you pay a guy like this. That is a game changer. This is what every good defense is, has guys like this. And they're a really good defense. It, um, oh my God. I, I'm so, I, it kills me that you're saying that because it, it killed me. I'm watching them all the play this, all this zone coverage, everyone's hands. They're like moving in perfect. I was like, I've seen this before in Soldier Field. It's, it's, the, it's the all 22 angle all over again. The all 22 angle is much better. It's improved. It's all, yes. You can actually see improved. the defense compared to I 10 years ago. I actually see it unfold, but a gigantic Mike linebacker running 20 yards down the field. It's like, oh, I've seen this picture before. And I've the Tremaine Edmonds move, I think, is a good thing to zero in on. 
When yeah. they traded Ray Roquan Smith, I understand people shitting on them for doing it. I totally understand. And the way yep. that Roquan Smith has played specifically, he's an all-pro. He's totally a superstar type player. But the thought is you can move on from him, potentially sign a linebacker in free agency that can be an impact player for you and get a second-round pick out of it. And we can argue about whether that was a good or a bad move. Roquan sure. Smith is a phenomenal player. But what I've said about Ryan Poles all offseason, when people were asking, do you think he's doing a good job? Where do you think the Bears are? I consistently said, outside of the Chase Claypool trade, I think the process for almost all of his other decisions, even if I don't necessarily agree with them, I understand how he arrived at it and the types of bets that he's making. If you look at what he has done in terms of the types of players he's tried to find, there are two things that he has chased. Trenches and traits. That has been it. Trenches and traits. That's a formula. (laughs) That is not a bad thing to bet on. So they go get Darnell Wright. They go get Montez Sweat. They drafted two defensive tackles, one in the second round, one in the third round. You look at how Tyreek Stevenson is built. I love watching that guy play. And Kyler Gordon is like that, just huge, explosive, or like really twitchy, explosive athlete. And now with the coaching they've gotten on that side of the ball and the job Eberflus has done, it's all really started to come together. Yeah. And they're not finished yet. They, there's still some pieces. They need another edge rusher, in my opinion. Yep. I think some more progress from the young interior guys is important. There are areas where you want to see just a couple more steps being taken. But what this unit is and how far they've come, I think, is the reason that me, other Bears fans, justifiably think, okay, I understand why Iberflus would come back based on what this group looks like right now. Yeah, it's nothing about it feels fluky because yeah. it's 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 sound stuff. It's not smoke and mirrors. Like I said before, the blitz stuff is just on third and fourth down. So it's just really they show you what you got. Watching this team pass off, you're bringing the cover two stuff, but watching this team pass off tight alignments and bunches and stuff, you can see all these guys communicating, being yeah. on the same page. That's all starts at the top. That's coaching. The, the players can't get to that point without a coach getting to that point or helping them get to that point. So I I think it's. Yeah, I, I can understand how complicated it is after, especially how that first how September felt. Oh boy, uh, but <laughs> but now it's yeah, it's totally different, and I see the fingerprints all over it. Like this is just it's it's good ball, it's good ball what they're doing, and I'm excited to go against this Packers team. That you talk about good ball, awesome. going back yeah. and rewatching that Packers game against the Vikings last weekend is everything you could want from an offensive performance, and I say that because it's a confluence of. Really good game planning with really good individual talent shining in big moments. How thoughtful they were about, okay, we know what some of the covered shells behind these pressure looks are going to look like. There's one place specifically where the Vikings were lined up in like a cover zero look. The way that you have to play that with a certain alignment is the corner on that side has to shift over to the strong side of the formation. Yep. So the Packers send this big over to the other side, knowing that space would be vacated. And they have a quarterback who wall backpedaling against a pressure look can hit that throw. That to me is the perfect example of we have a plan. The plan takes advantage specifically of what the team we're playing against does well and poorly. And our guys are talented enough to shine when put in these sorts of moments. And it feels like that's exactly where this Packers offense is with Matt LaFleur pulling those strings and Jordan mm-hmm. Love making throws that truly not that many quarterbacks on planet Earth can make. Or even willing to. Yeah. Like even when he makes that's another mistake, very he's, good coming, point. Yep. he's coming right back and throwing it again. And that's probably he has confidence with LaFleur's given him. And I would too. Watching what they're doing, uh, I mean, the protection plan against Flores was flawless. Uh, I mean, some of these guys, they the offensive line is really gelled, you know, now that they know what their kind of their five is. And 
the running backs, even if they bring in Patrick Taylor, he knows what the plan is. And again, if you're bringing in your third running back, who's you signed off waivers off the street, like whatever, it's like now he's playing big snap for you and picking up a cover zero, like that has given so many offenses issues. You know what the the you know what the protection plan for the Steelers uh, uh, against like cover zero look against like the Rams was when they were trying to figure it out. Let's have Jalen Warren block Michael Hoyt. Michael Hoyt's 310 pounds. Jalen Warren's like 218. Like tough coverage looks and tough blitz looks like confound bad offenses. And so when you watch this team with all these guys all on the same page, all knowing the checks, the first third down of the game, there's the Vikings pressure look. Of course. They show Jordan Love because uh, uh, they're talking about him. I think Chris Collins was talking about him. And they show him and he's just like bored. He's like, like looking left and right. I've seen so many quarterbacks just look at that and they're going, Okay, like they're looking back and left and right, left and right, going like, okay, am I, do I have to check here? Do I have to, I have to figure out, or is that cover two? The, the haymaker touchdown. Um, I, I, cause I'm now I mix up all these receivers that are catching touchdowns for him. Yeah. Uh, so how, Jim, how, so is, Jim, how do you keep track of like the random so undrafted Reed, free agent? The original one yeah. that they drafted this year that we liked. Okay. Now they have all these other guys coming in. Wicks is coming in. That one, that touchdown, he, it's, it's a blitz look. He, like you said, he realizes it's inverted cover two and he attacks it. And again, that's coaching. That's game planning, but he has to be willing to attack it. And love was making every single throw right now. That throw that he made to Jaden Reed for that touchdown. If you guys have not seen the end zone angle of it, I'm sure it exists somewhere. Maybe one of us will tweet it out. He, I tweeted it. <laughs> he leaves his feet when he throws it. Yeah. And the torque and the rotation in that is insane. And yep. that's the type of thrower that he is. He is a rare thrower. The arm talent specifically yep. does not come around that often. We're talking about five, six, seven guys, I think, in the league where the ball comes out of his hand that way that it does with Jordan Love right now. And you combine that with sound offensive plans and a willingness to unleash that on people. And now you've arrived at this specific, yeah. similar to the bears where I thought the bears would have a bad defense. And now we're talking about them as a top five unit. I thought when I was saying the Packers are going to make the playoffs. Okay. The defense will be good. You know, even if they're a little bit underwhelming, they'll still be good. They have enough talent. The running game will be good because they have the offensive line. We like the running backs. They will lean yep. on those guys as Jordan yep. love gets settled. They're a playoff team, but it's because they are fifth in passing DVOA. They're an elite passing offense. I did not (laughs) anticipate this being the potent version of the Packers that we would get in the middle of January. That's not what I expected. But again, it's a testament to Lafleur, and it's a testament to the quarterback. And it's not gimmies either, guys. It's like, like, yeah, he's lining – it's like you're lining up a guy like to hit a golf shot, and you're like, yeah, you lined him up. It's like, yeah – and it's also like a 170 yard shot. Like that's what it's like. Yeah, he's lined up and he's got straight fairway up to up to the green, but he's still making the shot. It's ridiculous what these guys do. And then like all the young guys stepping up. We just joked about the receivers. I, I, I was a joke, but now Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave. Like all of a sudden, these two like they have two legit tight ends they nail in this draft. Tucker Craft had so many moments as blockers on against that against the Vikings. Where I was watching it, I was just thinking of you. I was just like, man, oh. Nate is going to love watching this Tucker Craft blocking highlights from that. Me game. Me and Dane high five every time he has a play. Me and Dane Brugler. He he blocked a four eye for the Vikings, which was hilarious because he wasn't supposed to, and uh, he ends up blocking no problem, just running his feet. Farm boy strength, man. You got a guy from Timberlake High School. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's going to have some strong hands. <laughs> Specifically in this game, I think yeah. that that running game and that rushing success that we've seen from the Packers with Aaron Jones back in there, harder to do against this Bears team has been very good against the run. Yep. The one area that you can take advantage of Chicago, I'd say two, two specific things. 
the when you have some of these big crossers against the Bears when they play single high, you can hit them on those. That's not the way they really want to play. And the Packers love attacking that area of the field. And the last thing is, in man coverage, you can get them every once in a while. Again, that's not necessarily the way they want to play. So some bigger crossers against single high, and if you can get them at man on third down, I think that's two areas where even against a defense that's playing well, the Packers may have a little bit of an advantage. That's a great point. And I think tying with some of that uh, going over the middle, they they struggle defending bootlegs for some reason. And I I think I have a theory. Uh, It's – because they like to play their linebackers so off ball, mm-hmm. you know, all all three guys are stacked up there, bootlegs with a little crossing motion from tight ends that really helps. That really influences them. So I'd be ready to see, you know, Kraft and Musgrave or even a receiver. They, the Packers might do this with the receivers sometimes too. A lot of jet motions, which they do, but a lot of split zone, which is where the tight end crosses formation. Lots slice routes on nakeds. So I, I think that's what. It's what the Packers lean into anyways, but I think they're going to really lean into it because I think that's how you can maybe get these really talented linebackers to just stop, just hesitate that split second instead of teeing off on stuff. Seems like Christian Watson is going to be back in this game after missing the last four. Jalen Johnson not practicing. So that is absolutely something to keep an eye on. He's played phenomenal for the Bears this year. He correctly, I think, made the Pro Bowl this year. Uh, Terrell Smith, though, who would be stepping in for him, has played very well. Just, yeah. just one guy that I wanted, wanted to keep mentioning here just speaks okay. to the depth of, the, of, of this Bears Smith. team and that defense. Terrell Smith, who was a fifth-round rookie this year, he has played well when he has been forced into action this season. And so even when they've been banged up just, in the secondary, they've been all right. I saw some Roshan Johnson in there too. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, the skin sprinkled in. I, I think next year is his year. But, we're uh, we're, we're doing okay, man. There, there, there are some I know. Real, there's some real pieces well, on hey, this team. In the it's moment, I like the draft. About. In the moment, I like that draft. So it's like it's cool to see it. It's, this Bears year has been a journey, I'm sure, for you guys, for you fans. But even as an outsider. Ben, ben uh, can you imagine how the next <laughs> three months are going to go? Oh, God, right. It still is. Yes, absolutely. But it's been – it's fun to see an odd field product that's like just like actually worthy, not only worthy of being out there, but just actually like be, playing good ball where I'm like I'm seeking them out. That Saints game after the Montez Sweat trade, I was like, I watched it out of curiosity. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, this is actually decent. Okay, and ever since then, <laughs> he's had a huge them. impact on them. So they go oh, yeah. when when he's been on the field for them this year, they have a thirty eight percent pressure rate, which would be tenth in the NFL over the course of the season. When he's been off the field, either after the trade or before they acquired him, it was a twenty eight percent pressure rate, which is thirty first. And some of and that, that is. Other guys stepping up, and a lot of environmental factors, but he yeah, has exactly. made a huge impact on for them. That and that's why you, like you said, I, I love to find a complimentary pass rusher with him because his strength it, is his literal strength is pushing the pocket. And those guys, when they get another dude, is when all of a sudden just goes do 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 do. Those sacks just start piling up. It's just the, the guy that I now I'm kind of imagining, even though I think that it would be a little bit dangerous to pay somebody at his age, but I think yeah. stylistically makes perfect sense is Daniel Hunter. Because you can put him on the right side. He's got that wonky, weird kind of style to him where he's going to yeah. slice and dice. And he's then got you've got a guy the on the other side guy. who's just pushing the pocket. <laughs> yep. And that's the thing about Sweat is a lot of these highly paid big-time rushers in a 4-3, you're putting them on the right side because they're pass rushing specialists. But his yep. size and the way that he plays the run, you can put him on the other side. So if you have more of a designated pass rusher bendy. type that's really trying to – a bendy guy – I think that that pairs very well. And I think that there's a decent yeah. amount of them. Even if you go get like a Josh Uche in free agency and you sprinkle him. Yeah. him into the equation and into the rotation, I think because you have a skill set that's almost harder to find with a guy who does both, it allows you to right. 
fill that other spot with somebody who maybe has a more specific. You could be role. choosy. Yes, you could be choosy with it. You don't need it. It's like it's like a, oh okay, this is the put us over the top kind of thing. So no. fucking weird to be sitting here being like, oh man, when the pairs when the Bears find their other complimentary pass rusher, how good could the defense be after how I felt on <laughs> Labor Day weekend? Or where they were signing Ngakwe, Mercedes Lewis, like a week before the season or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Hey, they can sign these guys if they're on a rookie quarterback contract. So <laughs> this is this. Yeah. They, well, listen, that, that's the other part of this game that I don't really want to dig into. This no, will, this will unfortunately this dot, dot, dot. be the lasting data point in the Justin Fields conversation. And I'm just right. worried about that no matter which way it goes, because it's already gotten pretty toxic. So we'll, sa- we'll save that conversation right for another day. Speaking Please. of the top of the draft, beyond the playoff implications this week, one thing to keep an eye on here is the tankathon implications and what the top of the draft could look like. So the number two pick is likely coming down to Washington, New England, Arizona. All of them are four and 12. Washington has it entering week 18, but that could change even if Washington loses. Okay. okay. Arizona can only get it if they lose and New England and Washington win. But if Washington and New England both lose, it'll come down to strength of schedule. The team with the lower strength of schedule gets the higher pick. Washington's opponents, the strength of schedule is 515. New England's is 518. If the Saints win and and Washington loses, they will get it. If the Falcons win and the Patriots lose, they will get it. That's how close this this is. You've seen basketball, right? I have seen basketball. Remember, remember yes. they're going over the playoffs, and now like the northeast, south sets, like central, west zone. Like this is the it division. It wouldn't normally matter, but we're yeah. in a draft where the quarterbacks are the prizes, and these teams desperately need quarterbacks. The Jane yep. Daniels part of this maybe alters the conversation a little bit. Yeah. Where even if you're picking in the top three, you have three guys that maybe are worth those picks, similar to this year with the way that it worked yep. out with Anthony Richardson, but. It still matters to have that positioning as you get there. So it's something to watch. And there are so many different ways that the top 10 could go. I mean, there are so many different teams that if you're Cincinnati, right? You're you're picking 16th right now. And if the Bears win, if the Raiders win, if the Falcons win, you could be picking in the top 10. So there are five, six spots at play for so many of these teams that are bunched up here. Green Bay, for example. Let's say the Bear, the, the Packers lose. They're picking 19th right now if they're a wild card team. If they go eight and nine and some of these other teams win, they could be picking in the top 12, maybe even the top 10. Ridiculous. So how yeah. many different things could shift based on the results this week in the draft specifically, I think is worth watching even independent of what the playoff seating is going to ultimately look like. And it's a offensive heavy draft and a premium position offensive heavy draft, or at least at the top, I should say. Uh, but like I did my mock top 11 picks for offense. It's <laughs> just, uh, I mean, there's some defense, there's good defensive players, but they're not that true, true, like at this point in time, that true ace or like pass rusher. There's some good corners at least too. But, yeah, I mean, you're one yeah. of these teams that needs an offensive tackle. Tackle and receiver you could and go from 16th to 9th. You know, that yeah. could ultimately be a huge difference. Yep. If you're Cincinnati, for example, and I don't think all or the Penn State guy are going to fall that far. But if you somehow things get weird and having the ninth pick is ultimately a difference between landing one of those guys, that matters. Like that could be yeah. a huge determining factor in the quality of the pick and how much that pick ends up mattering for you next year. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend, show up for yourself. 
A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right. Ready for the last fourth screen of the year? Oh, yeah. Last fourth screen of the year. So each week, solicit arguments for which game belongs on the fourth screen in my multi-view. This one is from Josh Jones. Okay? Right now, as I write this email, I'm slugging down vitamin D gummies and using exotic botanical grow lights to feed me enough happy chemicals to send this submission in. Even with these (laughs) measures, and even as a Husky alum watching them skyrocket into Pacific Northwest legend, I am troubled. I was born a summer child. I came into my football viewing in time to see a raggedy old Jerry Rice, Sean Alexander, and a rhinoceros man named Max Strong on my local Seahawks. The following year, paired with an O-line fantastic enough to boost my favorite player into an MVP season, I saw some bubble-bee-wearing monster men destroy my childhood dreams in the Super Bowl. Michael Boulware, I remember you getting torched. Sunday, on the very last day of our blessed 2023, I watched a Steelers team so dysfunctional that players who won't pick up loose footballs once again dismantled my local Seahawks. Seattle is known as a city with excellent health care, both in terms of practice and research. It must be a lucrative marketplace right now, because after years of fourth quarter palpitation-inducing comebacks disguising our grace guard purgatory, I am at the brink. Even as a division leader earlier this year, everyone knew we were children in a trench coat. For years, we have made good teams ugly and bad teams gorgeous. And all the while, our defensive coach is leading us and our awful defense onward into toxic positivity. We are somehow worse than the sum of our parts. They say the most evil Pandora's box to be released is hope. Josh Allen and the Bills broke Russell Wilson's psyche permanently in 2020. Colt McCoy double smacked us with different teams in different seasons. And I still held on to hope. But one night, as I was wandering the streets of the city in December 2021, I found myself on my ass on the steep hill on which I live, drunk and covered in rare Seattle snow, as I lay in torment after having seen the Red Rifle and the Moribund Bears smoke us at home. I thought Sean Desai might be a head coach successor in training. He wasn't. I thought we would take a flyer on a rookie quarterback to hopefully sit and develop behind Geno. We didn't. I thought we wouldn't depend on the Packers team, a team many Packer or Seattle fans revile, to enter the playoffs two years running. We do. I am in the looming <laughs> fields of Asvidal as a football fan. At least we won't make it to the divisional round to see the 49ers battle of Hothas again. Know that any Seahawks fan that is not old enough to have seen their 90s dip has been spoiled. 
Now Seattle's reckoning has come. All we have are Legion of Boom cameos and grunge music. We are the gray skies. We are the gray sea. We are shades of glory and we are in purgatory. All I can do is think of words from the band Starfucker. You're all right where you are, being no one, going nowhere. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of, there's a lot of darkness in that email. <laughs> a lot of, we had a battle of Hoth as a as an action? Yeah, as, as a, an action. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a fitting, wow. a fitting end, a fitting final fourth screen email wow. to, to send us off into the sunset hey, here. At least the Mariners aren't stripping parts because they're broke. So at least we got that. <laughs> Hey, they had the Winter Classic in Seattle. That was, that yeah, was fun. that's something. Beat, that's something. Beat the Knights. Yeah, they got All right. that. Final Tyson's ta- 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 touts of the regular season. Uh, you are oh, 26-24-2 on the year. So you can end the year 500 if you keep oh, this rolling. God. Wow. I'm glad I put a lot of like a lot of thought outside of just listening to the fourth, <laughs> fourth screen and thinking about these. Um, here we go. So I'm going to go with the Patriots minus one and a half. Win one for the gupper for for Bill Belichick, the guy that's that's had so many good performances uh, as a coach. Just want to see in New England. Let's see what happens. But seeing his last game, so Patriots minus one and a half hosting the Jets, seeing one last thorn in the Jets side. Well, maybe they'll get a better draft pick, so maybe they don't they don't hate it as much. <laughs> Everyone's coming back; they're not getting fired, so maybe it's not so bad. All right, actually, I like the pick better now. Um, now we go Seahawks minus three at the Cardinals. This is more Cardinals have been fun to bet. They're more more of a letdown game. A letdown game for yeah. a team that barely has any wins. That Eagles game was their Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. They, they, but that was an awesome performance from Jonathan Gannon, those coaches and the players. But think it's a letdown game. Think the Seahawks need the win, which is the all important thing. Going with them minus three, even on the road. Last one. I, this is, this is, yeah, I don't know. Going with the Ravens plus three and a half hosting the Steelers. Do not think they're going to win, but think they're going to make it a little, give it a little. <gasps> You know, the little heart attack in Pittsburgh, you know, in Yinzerland. It's, it, you know, it's not because the fries on the salad. It, it's just like that. They're, <laughs> they're, I think they're going to get a little closer, but the Steelers need this. But I think, you know, Ravens are going to try and make it a little frisky. At least, you know, with all their players, non, not starters playing. All right. That's Whew. all we got. It's a preseason game for the Ravens, essentially. We know how they feel yeah. about those. So I think that's why you have to feel pretty good about the Ravens Ooh, in this game. Great point. Money right. line. Right. <laughs> great point. Great God, point. That, that would be an all-time low for the Steelers. If when they it, lose to the Ravens backups and the and Buffalo loses and they don't get into the playoffs, that is that would be a tough one. So some something to keep an eye out for. All right. That's all we got, guys. Really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed all of our regular season previews. Obviously, the playoff previews are going to look a little bit different. We're going to talk about every single game, deep dives on every single game. So please be on the lookout for that next week. One quick yep. programming note. Next Tuesday. We are not going to have Keeper in the Beats. Zach is off for the rest of the year. He's got a lot of reporting and other responsibilities to worry about. Sincere thank you to Zach for tackling yeah, that for us job. all season. Really enjoyed that show. Great insight from the beat writers. It was awesome. Next week specifically, we are going to have a season-long award show on Tuesday in this feed. So be we on are. the lookout for that. We needed to find some place, some way to get that in with our current schedule. So that is what we're going to ultimately do. Until then. Sincerely appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate the time. If you haven't and would like to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Spotify, give us five stars. We're getting near the end of the season. If you liked the show or have liked the show over the last few years, I would consider it a personal favor if you would let us know why, uh, because it means a lot. So thank you very much for the time. Thank you very much for listening. We will talk to you very soon. This was The Athletic Football Show. 
Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.